A key deadline for President Trump just uh, minutes away. The lead starts right now. Will he or won't he? President Trump facing a decision on whether the White House will take part in any further impeachment proceedings in the House before House members vote as the White House looks to a Senate trial as an escape route. And breaking news, the suspect in today's deadly attack at a naval station in Florida, now described as a Saudi military trainee, the latest on his motive and why he was on the base. Plus, heart-wrenching video showing the agonizing final moments of a boy's life as he dies inside a U.S. Border Patrol cell. Why didn't the Trump administration initially give the public the full story. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start today with our politics lead. The White House has just minutes, literally, to decide if officials there will participate in any remaining impeachment proceedings before the final vote. President Trump facing a 5 p.m. East Coast deadline set by House Democrats. Also this afternoon, the first indication it will not only be Democrats voting to impeach President Trump, with former Republican, now independent Congressman Justin Amash from Michigan telling CNN that he is ready to vote for at least three potential articles of impeachment, obstruction of Congress, obstruction of justice, and abuse of power. Right now, House Democrats are drafting the articles of impeachment and preparing to debate behind the scenes which ones they will include among the debates. Will the Mueller report be part of the charges against the president? As CNN's Phil Mattingly reports, Democrats plan to work through the weekend with committee lawyers preparing to lay out their cases in a hearing scheduled for Monday. As Democrats move full speed ahead on articles of impeachment, the White House signaling it will play no role in the House impeachment process. Less than an hour away from a Democratic-imposed deadline on whether President Trump's lawyers will participate in the House impeachment process at all, zero signs the answer will be yes leaving a divided House to move forward in a process that will kick into high gear next week. Facts are clear. The Constitution is clear. The president violated the Constitution. With the House Judiciary Committee set to hold its second impeachment hearing on Monday, where majority and minority counsel for the Intelligence and Judiciary Committees will present their respective impeachment reports. The first action in what will be a defining week for the Trump presidency with Democrats likely to reveal and vote in committee on articles of impeachment by the end of the week, setting up a final floor vote the week of December 16th. The debate over what those articles of impeachment will look like, however, still very much underway. Speaker Nancy Pelosi sources say hearing out all corners of the caucus on whether to include elements of special counsel Robert Mueller's report in the final articles. But asked specifically about adding Mueller's finding as an article of obstruction of justice, the speaker made clear in a CNN town hall Thursday, the process remains very much closely held. We're operating uh, collectively. With all due respect, I'm not going to answer one charge. We're not writing the, uh, the articles of impeachment here tonight. It's, it's a process. Today, Republican-turned-independent Justin Amash of Michigan telling CNN he's ready to vote for articles of impeachment. But Democratic leaders acknowledge some of their members may defect. Well, we do expect to lose some, uh, and that's why I say it is a conscious vote, and it's with their constituents. We have a very diverse caucus. 
And Jake, it's the frontline members of that very diverse caucus, the freshman class, many of them coming from districts President Trump won in 2016, that are warning leaders right now that they are not necessarily comfortable with how wide a scope the impeachment articles may include. One member telling us earlier today that he wasn't even sure he would vote for impeachment at all, given the speed and the pace that this has all gone. One thing they are saying repeatedly is the, the leadership needs to understand that there are political repercussions, even if they don't believe this is a political effort and there needs to be support and leadership needs to listen. So we'll see how that all plays out in the week ahead as they move very quickly towards that final vote, Jake. All right, Phil Manningly, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all this. Uh, Jackie Kucinich, first of all, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Um, breaking news. So um, there are these moderate Democrats in these uh, Trump districts that their jobs really could be on the line. They're very worried. Absolutely. And you've heard them both. And you've seen them um, both behind the scenes and out in public raising concern about this, particularly when you bring in the Mueller report and all of the baggage therein. Now, of course, there were very concerning things in the Mueller report for a lot of members of Congress and a lot of the public. That said, because of the sustained campaign against it, because of Robert Mueller's own testimony, it has a lot more complicated um, messaging than the straightforward Ukraine corruption situation that we've seen most recently being investigated. So I asked, uh, I asked Nancy Pelosi uh, yesterday at, the at a town hall, about her previous quotes where she said if they proceed with uh, impeachment, it needs to be bipartisan. And as of right now, it really doesn't look like it's going to be uh, bipartisan, except for those voting against impeachment. Here's what she had to say. Does this mean that you're failing to meet the standard that you set in January? No, I'm saying the Republicans have failed to meet the standard of honoring their oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. What do you think? Well, I think it was always wishful thinking for Democratic leaders to expect uh, impeachment proceedings against the president to be bipartisan. It is quite clear that Republicans, certainly in the House, have rallied behind the president, very much adopted his line of defense that this is not impeachable, the conduct, as well as decrying the process and just trying to delegitimize the inquiry itself. I do think, however, when it comes to the scope of the articles of impeachment, the debate that Democrats are essentially having is you just stick with something that is very clear cut with respect to Ukraine. The president sought uh, help from a foreign government to investigate his political rival. He then tried to obstruct uh, the investigation into that conduct. Or do you establish a pattern where, according to the Mueller report, the Trump campaign at least welcomed assistance from the Russians and the president also sought to obstruct that investigation into Russian interference and contacts between the Trump campaign and Moscow? So you can really raise the stakes for why this behavior is, in fact, impeachable and not presented as a one-off that you go through this process and then the American public moves on without really getting at the implications for 2020 yeah. if the president is still in office and on the ballot himself. So that's one argument, the idea that it's urgent and, and that's why they include the Mueller report, because he's going to keep doing this. He's going to keep enlisting uh, foreign intervention. Here, here's the other side of the argument from uh, uh, one of the new uh, moderate members, Congressman Max Rose from Staten Island, uh, New York, talking about his previous comment, how he doesn't think Mueller should be uh, anywhere near uh, the articles of impeachment. Take a listen. I was against going through with impeachment previous to this Ukraine matter. So with the understanding that I'm not going to entertain any hypotheticals, I was very serious when I came out and said that. Unlike most of the people in this institution, I'm not going to just say something and forget about it. 
Well, look, Nancy Pelosi knows her caucus very well. And I suspect that part of what they're going to do this weekend as they're drafting these articles of impeachment is to look at all of the evidence and determine how do we lay this out in a way that does exactly what you said, makes a very clear cut case. And again, I think there's a way to do that that brings in elements of the Mueller investigation that does establish a pattern. And that is relevant because we I mean, now that we've established this pattern that the president lies, that actually matters. So I do think they're going to that's what they're going to look to do this weekend. And I suspect as they look at the evidence and how they want to proceed on Monday, they'll have a sense going into next week what the push points will be with certain members who will feel there's too much Mueller. That means I can't vote for it or there's you know, there could be more. So I think that's part of what their process is going to be. What do you think? Should they include uh, the Mueller report? Should it be wide? Should it talk about the pattern or should it just be focused exclusively on the Ukraine scandal? Mostly focused. I think you can mention the previous stuff to show there was a pattern. But at the end of the day, they were not going to impeach on the Mueller report. I myself thought they should have proceeded to hearings, but they didn't. So you can't really say, well, the Mueller report helps. It's weaker than Ukraine. And if you're a prosecutor, I'm not a lawyer, but I believe this is true, you go with your strongest charge, and it doesn't help your strongest charge to add a weaker charge, right? So I would say they should stick pretty narrowly on Ukraine, mentioning the pattern that preceded it. Ukraine is impeachable. They have that in spades, in my opinion. Uh, They have the obstruction in spades, the obstruction of Congress, the refusal to deliver documents on a very concrete set of issues. This isn't a two and a half year investigation about stuff that happened in 2016, stuff that happened in the Oval Office, in the White House, with the president directing people in government to do and not do certain things to the degree the administration has not cooperated with that. That seems to be a clear obstruction of Congress's ability, the House's ability to impeach. So I would keep it narrow. I think they'll be fine. I don't think they'll lose many Democrats at the end of the day. There's always nervousness in this. And, it's, and incidentally, it's foolish for them. They're not going to get any benefit in there. If you're a Democrat in a Trump district, if you vote not to impeach, if, you're for, if the voters are for Trump, they're not going to say, you know what, I really That's think right. I'm going to send yeah. a Democrat back to the House. At the end of the day, those districts will go depending on the national verdict on Trump. And they're honestly just better off, you know, sucking it up and, and <laughs> voting the way they think is right. Although, Karen, I have to say, Brad Parscale, the Trump campaign manager, is out there. He's tweeting polling information. Which, you, know, yeah. you can rely on it or not. It's, a, it's from Fabrizio. It's a partisan firm indicating, you know, this House member, you're in trouble if you vote for it. Yeah. This House member. It's a scare tactic. We were actually just talking about this. In the one example that I read about today, it said 45 percent. And I thought 45 percent is good. In if I'm, in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, if I'm Trump, a Democrat, is a that Trump, is good. This is a district, a Trump plus 14 district. And there's only he's and only I, plus seven against impeachment. So look, there are more some Trump voters think he should be impeached in that. And district. I think the picture is a little bit different sort of at the local level than what the national polls are telling you. Right. I have a candidate that I'm working with who raised one hundred thousand dollars against her Republican opponent on this. So it's actually playing a little bit differently on the ground. All right, everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. Sorry, birthday girl. We'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get to more. Uh, the new figures could have a bigger impact on President Trump's re-election and impeachment. We'll show you. Then call it a, a new phase in the Joe Biden campaign, the former VP on the attack, and now hoping a famous old friend's luck rubs off. In the politics lead with the White House just minutes away from a deadline to say whether or not anyone from the White House will take part in the remaining impeachment proceedings in any way before the big vote, the Trump administration says, I see your impeachment push and I raise you 266,000 jobs. That's right. A surging jobs report brought the unemployment rate back down to its lowest number since the 1960s and Republican focus on that. And as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, it's giving President Trump a boost today. As House Democrats wait to hear whether he'll participate in their impeachment proceedings, President Trump gave no hints in front of the cameras today. 
We're extremely bullish. We've been upbeat all along. We know the president's done nothing wrong. Despite that optimism, the White House is facing fresh scrutiny in wake of a report from House Democrats that revealed there were extensive communications between Rudy Giuliani and still unidentified officials. Asked why Giuliani traveled to Ukraine given the scrutiny he's facing, the White House offered no explanation. That's a question uh, that, you know, between Rudy and the president. But confirmed Giuliani still works for Trump. To my knowledge, yes. The president touting the blockbuster jobs report today. The market is up 325 points today on great job numbers. The numbers have been phenomenal. And claiming the economy would be even better with less problems on the southern border if not for the Democrats, quote, horror show. The U.S. added more than 250,000 jobs in November, and the unemployment rate fell to a half-century low, a big boost for a president who has recently fueled trade tensions. Trump's top economic advisor claims the impeachment drama isn't affecting his ability to negotiate a trade deal with China. There may be an impeachment vote. There'll be no conviction. That is my view. Uh, I think the Chinese know that. I think a lot of people know that. But it was the president who sent the Dow tumbling after he said a trade deal, one of his major campaign promises, could be pushed to more than a year from now. In some ways, I like the idea of waiting till after the election for the China deal. But they want to make a deal now and we'll see whether or not the deal is going to be right. It's got to be right. Now, Jake, there's another set of tariffs that's expected to go on $156 billion in goods on December the 15th. Right now, we've heard from some people who say that there could be another delay in those tariffs as they're trying to work out the negotiations of this deal. But judging by the president's pessimistic comments there and the way these negotiations have gone in the past, it's really anyone's guess right now. All right. Caitlin Collins at the White House. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, Jackie, let me start with you. <laughs> Should the White House participate uh, in these hearings? I mean, in the House hearings? I mean, what do they got to lose? I feel like that's the debate, right? Um, because they could, by participating in the House hearings in particular, um, it could be seen that they're validating it. And they've been saying this whole thing is... But do you believe ranked- that? Do you think, it, do you think it, it, it has any more legitimacy with them arguing that they're wrong and this is unfair than if they just, like, you know, take their ball and go home? It- <clears throat> It's hard to say, right? Because it's this White House. They could spin it however they wanted to if they walked in the room and said, well, we need to defend ourselves. Right now, they've been reliant on the members of Congress that are on that panel, some of which who are very vocal, Jim Jordan to be one of them, to do that work for them. Would it benefit them to be able to get their... part out there? Sure, you'd think so. But here's the thing, but, but depending on who they sent, because messaging is not necessarily their strongest suit, and it can be undone by the person in behind the but that whole, desk. Look, their strategy, which I do not like as an American, I think it's terrible for the country, is to take their ball and go home. This is illegitimate. Here's an alternate reality we've created with Ukraine involvement. Ukraine was meddling in the election. Right. And Trump cares so much about corruption. He was working on it. And we're just sticking to that story. They don't want to debate any facts. They don't want to actually have a debate about what Donald Trump said on but a phone call. But they change their story all the what, time. Or what, but it doesn't matter. But that's yeah. why, from their point of view, they, are, they, they don't want to have a normal argument about who did what, when, where, Wait, and okay. what did Trump say to Sondland, and what did, what did you know, happen with the ambassador. They want to have their alternate reality. So in that respect, and look, it's worked. 
It, the Republicans, many of whom I know personally and have talked to, who I thought two months ago might defect, almost all of them have come home. Hmm. Nikki Haley out there in New York is now defending Trump more than she was six or eight weeks ago. So from their narrow point of view of holding the base and intimidating Republicans, the take the ball and go home strategy is working better than actually Trying engaging. Well, I it's think. just disgusting. I mean, well, I agree with that. No, it's no, terrible. But like, when I was in the Clinton administration, <laughs> there was no question. We were told you will cooperate, period, end of sentence. Right. Whether that meant you had to get a lawyer, I had to take out a loan to pay my legal bills. A lot of people did. That was it. There was no question that maybe there were conversations, certainly for the more senior people, about the nature and how and what have you. But the idea that you would just, as the president of the United States of America, say, we're just not going to participate, that in and of itself is obstructive and he should be called out for it. Don't you agree agree it's working politically to some degree, though, for them? It's holding the Republicans with their base. But I do think for a lot of moderates, it does look... Yeah, certainly the thinking inside the White House is that they should just wait it out until the Senate trial where they will be before a friendlier audience. And let me interrupt for one second and stay with you, because uh, Trump's legislative affairs director told reporters that the White House wants to put on this full defense at the Senate Mm -hmm. trial, including calling witnesses uh, such as the whistleblower who remains anonymous, uh, Hunter Biden, perhaps even Joe Biden, Chairman Schiff, Speaker Pelosi, uh, Republican Senator John Cornyn even warned that this could lead to a, a three-ring circus. So, I mean, that's that's what they're talking about doing. And that's causing discomfort among a number of Senate Republicans based on conversations I've had with uh, aides on Capitol Hill. They don't want to see this turn in, into a sideshow where they're or now the investigating house. The, house, right? the Bidens <laughs> and also get, trying to out the whistleblower. I, some of the president's most ardent supporters are behind that strategy but a lot of Senate Republicans want to be seen as taking this process seriously. The debate over there is more about the length of the trial. They don't want to just come and dismiss it within a couple of days, but they also don't want it to drag on and, and become and remain the national story before the American public. They're debating maybe having a two-week trial and, and not really letting the White House drive who gets to come forward, who gets to testify. But it's going to be challenging because there's a lot of pressure from the White House on these Republicans, not just to hold the line, but also to really come out with a full-throated defense of the president. The question, of course, is whether that's going to backfire. All right, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about because we're going to take a closer look at Rudy Giuliani's Ukraine trip that he just ended. Is he breaking the law? That's next. In today's World Lead, we're bringing you another episode of Where in the World is Rudy Giuliani? President Trump's personal attorney confirmed to CNN that today he's no longer in Ukraine as he was earlier in the week. Even House Republicans who support President Trump have expressed concern over Giuliani's presence there as he tweeted about how he's trying to dig up dirt on Joe Biden in Ukraine. The exact issue that led to his client, President Trump, at the brink of impeachment. I want to bring in Free Ferrara. He was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, of course, if he was let go from that position by President Trump. Giuliani, too, once served as U.S. attorney he in did. that office. Uh, pre- today, Democratic Congresswoman Jackie Speer, who sits on the House Intelligence Committee, said that Giuliani's actions overseas could theoretically be, be illegal. Take a listen. I think Rudy Giuliani is potentially breaking the law and has been for a period of months, if not years, if for no other reason that he has not filed uh, under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I'm not prepared to say that he is or is not breaking the law. What he is doing is, uh, I think, increasing jeopardy for himself. He's also making it harder for the president to put forth his arguments. I mean, the tweets that he sent and all the statements he's been making uh, on the way to Ukraine and and from Ukraine, as you pointed out, he's making the point 
that everything that Donald Trump cared about and the references to corruption uh, that Donald Trump says is the reason why, broadly speaking, he wanted uh, there to be an investigation with respect to Ukraine, it was all related to Joe Biden and to Hunter Biden, making it clearer than it's ever been before, out of the mouth of the lawyer's president himself, that corruption was synonymous with investigation of Joe and Hunter Biden. And that undercuts one of the most broad sweeping and significant defenses of the president. So he's, he's making trouble for himself, certainly, but he's also making trouble for the president. Hmm. The president's spokesman, Hogan Gidley, today said that he thinks uh, Giuliani is still the president's personal attorney. We know Giuliani is under federal criminal investigation, according to sources familiar with the matter and a, a federal subpoena. Are you surprised that given all this and given impeachment that the president has not yet cut ties with Giuliani? I mean, if you would ask me this a couple of years ago, before I saw the revolving door of lawyers that, that Trump would try to get, sometimes you know, failed in getting, uh, and then let go, I might have been surprised, but it's sort of par for the course. The president needs two kinds of lawyers in his own mind. And to, to one extent, maybe he only needs one kind. Uh, the kind that he really does need is sort of quiet, behind-the-scenes lawyers who do their jobs uh, in negotiating uh, things like giving testimony to the Mueller uh, folks or to the Congress, and they're sharp and agile lawyers in, the prime, in their prime. The other kind of lawyer that, that Donald Trump seems to like and want and have, a, have trouble letting go are boisterous, uh, sort of belligerent talkers on television. And in that role, Rudy Giuliani, even though lots of people around the president think he's doing a disservice, the president may like. He comes on your show. I've seen him. I've followed him uh, on occasion on your show and on other shows. And he throws up so much dust and talks about so many different facts that are not really on point uh, and pushes back in a very, very tough way and sounds you know, very angry about everything that's happened to Donald Trump. That's a sort of a show TV lawyer, and maybe that's the reason why Donald Trump has not let him go. But every rational, reasonable person, to the extent they still exist, around the president, if you believe the reporting and if you have common sense, says that Rudy Giuliani should be cut. Yeah, Michael Cohen used to do that for the president as well, yes, he, yes, as I did. recall. He doesn't do much anymore. We know that Giuliani met with some shady characters in Ukraine, fringe political figures known in Ukraine for promoting debunked conspiracy theories about Ukraine, debunk conspiracy theories about the Bidens, about Seth Rich. What is he doing there? <laughs> I, I don't know. It seems that he's, he's doubling down on a theory that people have debunked. Remember, one of the things that it is claimed that, that, that Trump wanted was an investigation into whether or not Ukraine uh, was responsible for the hacking and the interference in the 2016 election, which we all understand now, based on what the intelligence committees have said and other folks have said, is a storyline that Russia wants to promote, trying to frame Ukraine. And so to the extent maybe Rudy Giuliani is disappointed that that storyline is not holding, he's trying some last-ditch effort to put some meat on those bones. Um, and we have extraordinary statements from chairman of committees and even ranking members of committees saying there has been no evidence over, you know, hearing after hearing, briefing after briefing, that Ukraine was responsible. It's a story that's helpful to Russia. It's, I guess, helpful to the president's case. Uh, but I don't think Rudy Giuliani is making it in a good way. So maybe that's what he's doing. The Senate Intelligence Committee, led by a Republican, Senator Richard Burr, interviewed Alexandra Chalupa, the DNC uh, operative who's a Ukrainian-American, interviewed uh, Sean Henry, the head of CrowdStrike. I mean, they looked into this and they didn't find anything. Preet Bharara, thank you so much for your time. Thanks we really appreciate me. it. Thank you. A deadly mass shooting at a Florida military base putting a controversial U.S. ally in the spotlight. We're going to go live to the scene with new details next. Stay with us. This is CNN Breaking News. We have breaking news in our politics lead. White House counsel Pat Cipollone broke out his Sharpie and moments ago responded to the House Democrats and the hearing deadline they imposed, saying that the White House 
will not send officials to participate in any impeachment proceedings before the full House vote. CNN, Caitlin Collins is live for us at the White House and is bringing us the story. Caitlin, what reason is the White House giving? Well, Jake, it's a brief letter. It's only about two paragraphs, and it was sent about 24 minutes before their deadline. I'm going to read it to you in full. It's from Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel, to Jerry Nadler, of course, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. And in it, Pat Cipollone begins, quote, As you know, your impeachment inquiry is completely baseless and has violated basic principles of due process and fundamental fairness. Nevertheless, the Speaker of the House yesterday ordered House Democrats to proceed with articles of impeachment before your committee has heard a single shred of evidence. He continues, House Democrats have wasted enough of America's time with this charade. You should end this inquiry now and not waste even more time with additional hearings. Adopting articles of impeachment would be a reckless abuse of power by House Democrats and would constitute the most unjust, highly partisan and unconstitutional attempt at impeachment in our nation's history. He says, whatever course you choose, as the president has recently stated, this is what the president tweeted yesterday, Jake, if you're going to impeach me, do it now fast so we can have a fair trial in the Senate and so our country can get back to business. That is the White House counsel telling House Democrats they are not going to be participating in this hearing that they're hosting on Monday or any other of the hearings that they are going to have if they schedule any more and essentially saying that they continue to believe this is an unfair process. And Jake, what we've heard from behind the scenes is we were expecting this response, no surprise from the White House today about whether or not they were going to participate. But one interesting thing that we heard White House officials continuing to point to today was that announcement from Speaker Pelosi yesterday saying that she recommended they move forward with those articles of impeachment because essentially their argument was that was before we even answered whether or not we were going to participate. So if we had said yes, they're still going to move forward regardless of whether or not we're participating in this phase of the impeachment proceedings. So essentially their question was, what difference does it make if they do send someone? All right, Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Let's talk about this. That's kind of disingenuous. They haven't cooperated with anything. I mean, I I get that it gives them a good talking point. Uh, You're proceeding writing these articles of impeachment before we even responded, before the hearing on Monday, but they weren't going to participate. No, and they don't want to get engaged. We were talking about this a little before. They don't want to argue on the facts. They're created an alternate reality, and they've gotten away with it. For me, that's, I mean, it's appalling, I think. And as a Republican, sort of still barely, maybe, a tiny, the idea that the Republican Party has gone along with this, that no Republican will even stand up and say, look, make your case, White House. Make your, explain why Fiona Hill is wrong to say you're just uh, playing into Russia's hands. Explain that Ambassador Sondland misunderstood something. Or just say it doesn't amount to something that's quite impeachable because it ultimately didn't result in great damage to the country. Those at least would be arguments based on a common set of uncontested facts. What single fact in anyone's testimony does the White House now contest? What did Fiona Hill said? What did Lieutenant Colonel Vindman said? What did Ambassador even Sondland said? Well, maybe he's he, he did deceive on one or two things, but basically, what did Bill Taylor what did Bill Taylor said was wrong? That's not the argument. That's it's just it's just they've created an alternate reality. In that respect, Rudy Giuliani is in a way the White House strategy carried to the nth extreme, which is you know what? Why not just go over there and pretend there's like we're doing investigative work in Ukraine to see what really happened? in 2016. This this letter is exactly what Jackie was alluding to earlier. The White House has spent more than two months now decrying this process, seeking to cast it as illegitimate, despite that not being the case. And so there was never any reason to believe that they were going to come and sit before the House Judiciary Committee and play ball, especially when from the outset, to to Bill's point, uh, they haven't been willing to engage on substance because the substance doesn't look good for the president. And so they've made this entirely a process-driven argument 
so that they could just try and present this inquiry as politically motivated. That's what their message is going to be to their base, perhaps to independents, if they think that impeachment is not necessarily swaying independence in uh, favor of Democrats. But also there's another point here. The White House uh, has not cooperated, as you pointed out. They've withheld key documents. They've sought to block key witnesses from testifying before uh, these House committees. And so if they were to appear themselves, and the obvious follow-up question is, well, then why won't you hand over those documents? Why won't you let those other witnesses testify who have access to information that really fills in some of the blanks from what we've heard in these hearings thus far? We have seen what the president himself sort of wanted uh, Republicans to do um, at the onset of this, is, which is make arguments on the merits, make arguments on the facts. And that has just gone out the window, because if you can't argue on the facts, as you rightly pointed out, you attack the process. We see this in this letter. You see a lot. Some of the language mirrored what Nancy Pelosi said yesterday, the abuse of power. I know you are, but what am I? Sort of, you're the rubber, I'm the glue. There, that is in here as well. And I think we will continue to hear that until the Senate does whatever the Senate ends up doing. And you, and you just a reminder of viewers, you worked at the Clinton White House during impeachment. And yeah. You, I mean, he didn't, he didn't cooperate with everything and he didn't tell the truth about everything, but, but you guys, you guys, you don't have to say it. I, I yeah. just did. Yeah. But I mean, but you, the White House generally felt compelled to turn over documents and to turn over witnesses. Absolutely. And to take the process seriously. I mean, as Bill was saying, this is part of, I mean, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, this letter is just another abomination in not taking it seriously in, you know, just rejecting the premise that Congress has any authority to hold the executive branch accountable. And that has been the president's, you know, stance, frankly, from day one, that I'm the president, so anything I do can't possibly be illegal. We've heard him say that a few times. And, you know, in addition to undermining not just the process, the people. I mean, they also don't want to have to account for some of the things they've said about Vinman and Sondland, who maybe deserves it, but some of the, Fiona Hill. It's so, it's, I'm just baffled. I continue to just be just baffled by so it. Sabrina, one thing that I thought was interesting, we're talking about what facts that the White House has to deal with. You were talking about that as well, Jackie. And the fact is that they don't have a lot of facts that they want to discuss. Sometimes what they do, for instance, the last time the White House publicly did something was when Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney came out and basically admitted, not basically, he admitted a quid pro quo. He said that the military aid was being held up, at least in part, because they wanted to force Ukraine to do this investigation about Ukraine itself. Now, what they try to do is they try to change the facts. Mm -hmm. They do this, um, you know, uh, hide the card thing where, like, what President Trump wanted in terms of the investigation in Ukraine was this debunked conspiracy theory that Ukraine hacked into the DNC server and CrowdStrike took the server to Ukraine. It's insane. It's nuts. Uh, President Trump's own advisors have called it uh, debunked. But what Mick Mulvaney claimed it was, was that it was the investigation into the origins of the Russia probe that that U.S. attorney, former U.S. attorney uh, John Durham is doing, which is a legitimate probe that's going on right now. We're going to find out more about that, I think, next week or the week after. Mm -hmm. But he tried to pretend that that's what the president was asking about. Very clearly, it wasn't. I mean, they have to change the facts. And that runs counter to what the president himself has said. Everyone read the summary of the now infamous July phone call in which the president himself said that he wanted assistance, not just in terms of debunking the Russia investigation, but also in terms of digging up dirt on the Bidens. And right. he offered the assistance of his own Justice Department to do so. And it's not just about and the one July phone call. Obviously, you've had right. now... Former and current administration officials, career diplomats testify about what is a months long ongoing pressure campaign against the Ukrainians, which involved withholding military aid as well as a coveted White House meeting. And they can't do anything to change 
those facts. And so that's why they don't want to go and have to try and dispute those facts, because what you'll probably see them do is just try to move the goalposts once again and say that, well, you know, but Mick Mulvaney essentially said that there was a quid pro quo, but everybody does it. Rudy, Giuliani, Rudy is mentioned by the, in the phone call. Yeah. The president of Ukraine yeah. him up first was so famous that he's over there on behalf. And as yeah. Rudy has said this week, I'm the president's lawyer. He's over there on behalf of the president trying to create trying to dig up dirt or invent dirt, really, with a bunch of mobsters and disreputable Putin agents. Right. <laughs> Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. We're going we're to change subjects. Forget the softer side of Joe Biden. The Biden campaign adopting a more aggressive approach this week with fewer than two months until the first votes are cast. Stay with us. We're in deep trouble, but I believe we can. The 2020 lead now, former Vice President Joe Biden capping off a big week in the 2020 Democratic race after calling one disapproving voter a, quote, damn liar. He stayed out of the fray as two of his opponents went after each other. Biden is now touting a new endorsement from his old pal from the U.S. Senate, former Senator and Secretary of State John Kerry, who campaigned with Biden today in Iowa, a state that Kerry won in 2004. And that's where we find CNN's Jessica Dean. It feels great to have my friend with me. I can't think of anybody I'd rather have. Two old friends together again as former Secretary of State John Kerry joins former Vice President Joe Biden on the campaign trail. I am endorsing Joe Biden, not because I've known him so long, but because I have known him so well. In addition to Kerry bolstering Biden's experience argument, the Biden campaign hopes to capture some of the former Democratic nominees come from behind magic that led to his 2004 victory in the Iowa caucuses. Winner of the Iowa caucus, which kind of helps. You all know him like I do. That sounds pretty good to me. Kerry's presence is just one piece of the Biden campaign's more aggressive approach to Iowa this week. In the last seven days, Biden has held 16 events, mostly in rural areas. I need your help. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A confident Biden also taking emboldened swipes at his rivals, questioning voter enthusiasm for Senator Elizabeth Warren and telling reporters Mayor Pete Buttigieg stole his health care plan. Biden also engaging in a heated back and forth with an Iowa voter who said the former vice president was too old and accused him of sending his son to go work for a Ukrainian gas company. Damn liar, man. That's not true. Meantime, his campaign launched a scathing video targeting President Trump, saying the world is laughing at him. Several world leaders mocking President Trump. They're laughing at him. And even as Biden makes the case the Democratic Party isn't as far left as progressive New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez telling Axios. She's a bright, wonderful person. But where's the party? Come on, man. A super PAC supporting Biden cut an ad for Iowa Airwaves, painting him as a longtime progressive, highlighting his early support of issues like same-sex marriage. The right to marry whom you choose. The right to live free from the threat of violence and fear. These are basic, fundamental, universal human rights. There's a group of voters here in Iowa who say beating Donald Trump is their top priority, but they don't support Joe Biden. And those are voters the Biden campaign sees as persuadable. Jake, this tour and its message has been directed right at them. Jessica Dean traveling with the No Malarkey bus tour in Iowa. Thanks so much. We've got more breaking news, new details about the shooter behind today's deadly mass shooting at a Florida military base. Stay with us. We have some breaking news now in our national lead. We are learning new details about that Saudi national who investigators say killed three people 
and wounded eight others this morning at a U.S. Navy base in Florida where he was doing aviation training. CNN's Natasha Chen is live for us in Pensacola, right near the Naval Air Station. Natasha, what, what are we learning about the shooter? Yeah, well, Jake, a couple law enforcement sources are now telling CNN that the shooter has been identified as Saudi national Mohammed al-Shamrani. He is a member of the Saudi military who was training here in Pensacola as part of a partnership with the United States. Captain Tim Kinsella here in Pensacola explained during an afternoon press conference that he was part of an aviation pipeline but would not elaborate into how far along in the training process this person had gone. Uh, he is one of a couple hundred foreign nationals training here in Pensacola in a program that Captain Kinsella says goes back decades, back to World War II. He stated it was important for the U.S. and foreign allies and partners to cross-pollinate and train together. Now, President Trump has spoken with the king of Saudi Arabia, who offered his condolences and ordered his security services to uh, cooperate with American investigators in this case. So right now, it's still very early in the investigation. The local sheriff saying that because of the nature of what's going on here involving a Saudi national, that we may actually get more limited information than we would typically expect, Jake. And Natasha, the investigation is now being handled by the FBI, not local law enforcement any longer. What might that mean? That's right. Yeah, so uh, the FBI is now handling what is a global investigation, and those agents stationed full-time in Riyadh are now liaising with the Saudi government to look into the background of this shooter. Uh, They're trying to determine the motivation here, uh, whether it might be terror-related, but again, it's still very early on uh, to determine what that might be, Jake. All right, Natasha Chen in Pensacola, thank you so much. Uh, Be sure to tune into State of the Union This Sunday, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Jerry Nadler, will join us, as well as Republican Congressman Mark Meadows, one of the president's biggest defenders. That's at 9 a.m. and noon Eastern on Sunday. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. Tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Have a great weekend. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.